Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I am delighted to be with you again this week. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the rolling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined in our studio by my fellow elder and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing today? Wonderful, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You survived Thanksgiving, I hope? Uh, just barely, by God's grace. You're a little... Um your voice isn't doesn't yeah. have its usual melodious ring. Can oh, I put yes. it that way? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying out something new this week. Okay. Um I'm just getting over a little bit of a head cold. Um it's always it was the same week last year too. Sickness starts getting in the house. So I don't know if it's because of extra contact time with the family with days off of work and school and whatnot, but you know, I'm doing okay. I'm here and I'm maybe it's um maybe it's the Lord trying to help you to see that when you are weak, then he is strong. Amen. That's he, a, he, he needs to go to extreme lengths for me yes. to, to learn that, that which, one. Which but. is a foreshadowing of our podcast yes. today. Yes, it is. Do you see how I did that? I, I did. I did. I just wasn't going to call it out. I was oh. hoping that our listeners would, would okay. pick up on that themselves. But that's a, that's a good jumping off point. But before we get, we get into that, we have a guest in our studio with us today. It's not Nelson, although we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about Nelson at some point. Um, but we have we have another guest with us. So, Phil, would you do the honors of introducing? I guess he's well, been with us before. He has. Uh, Scott Leary, ruling elder at Mercy Hill. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Thanks for letting me uh, yeah, join in. I, yeah, I appreciate don't, it. Don't be too hard in your critique of our studio and our technology, Mr. AV, leader over there. <laughs> You're, you're, uh, this is probably the, this will probably be the best sounding podcast maybe we've had yet because Scott yeah. has tweaked the knobs, he's looked over, inspected all the equipment. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's good to have you. Brother. This is a no, no frills, you know, lo-fi podcast. So that's what we're all about. We're about content. Yeah, that's exactly exactly right. Yep. <clears throat> so it's good to good to have you with us, Scott, and uh, hopefully you can. You can help me get through this because I don't know how how long my voice will will go. So it's good to have a third voice in the room, and it's been quite a while since we've had a guest other than um, Rocky in the room. So and he's with us uh, today as well. So if you hear any movements uh, or dog noises, that is not Scott. That is that is Rocky. <laughs> and Rocky actually was... Um, he figured into the message, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he made prime time this week. So I did not know that uh, Rocky had a name change. Had been christened. Yeah. Well, and it, it was too complex, but his actual name is Rocket mm-hmm. because he's so fast chasing rabbits and squirrels, at least he used to be. And I remember when the dog was young that um, I could literally get a workout in the yard trying to catch him just <laughs> running around and he he's kind enough to stay in a wide enough circle to keep me from catching him but not go out of the yard but nowadays i can get maybe like 20 feet out of him and he just sits down so the poor guy is uh you know well we count in dog years he's he's definitely the old man of the house yeah <laughs> yeah and going deaf and becoming more stubborn, <laughs> less compliant, 
getting into trouble when no one is around, just like old men do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a little bit of Jacob in him, I think, in that way. I think so. Um, Yeah, so he he featured in your intro um, with the story that I I had not heard before of his name change. Mm -hmm. That's not very uncommon with with dogs we did the same thing with with one of our dogs asher was he a rescue he was a rescue and his name was jet when we got him as a puppy (laughs) that's the the small black one yeah hence jet yeah so he was jet and he was quickly renamed asher now there's nothing particularly nelson-ish about rocky would you agree I, I would agree. I can't, I can't, can't envision him as a, as a Nelson. My, my kids who were in the, my adult children, a few of whom were in the sermon on Sunday, were, were just, forget the theology, you know. They, they were just upset to have been reminded and, and reminded me that, that Nelson was a name that was never going to work for this dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he doesn't come across as a, as a Nelson. But what I didn't say, and maybe this can kind of get us going in, into the message, is the renaming was, an, was a symbolic attempt to start over with the dog who's, who has a, you know, re- rescue pups have a past. And we were first-time dog owners, and we were a little naive about that, but we, you know, we, we were determined to to find a dog that had a previous owner and that had no home. And, and so we brought him home. Um, but in, in trying to create a new home for Nelson now called Rocky and whatever trauma he went through that led to him being a rescue dog in the first place, we wound up actually adding to his troubles Hmm. because we were new dog owners and didn't really know how to, take care of a dog. Uh, we've learned a lot, you know, over the last 13 years with the boy, but, um, I guess my point is that, uh, with that illustration, giving a new name doesn't necessarily change the nature. And in my case, because I'm not the sovereign God, um, I, probably added trouble into Rocky's life. Not maybe not just as much as he had, but hmm. you know, we've had our we've had our challenges in, in figuring out how to be good dog parents and likewise with children, you know, you name your children and they don't unless the child is adopted. But I was I was thinking about our friends Brent and Julie and, you know, they adopted Eben. And it's easier to talk about a dog in a sermon than it is someone else's adopted child, but it's the same idea. Is that really we need the sovereign Lord to work in and through our lives and our children's lives to bring about the virtues that are indicated by the name that we've received in baptism, uh, Christ's own child. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's more obvious in in a way with like an adopted child, but that's true of all of us. Right. I mean, we, we are born again. That's true. So, Th- so we the new... are adopted as sons and daughters. Right. Um, 
but not all at once. I mean, there's a definitive sanctification, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is all at once, but then the progressive outworking, you know, what does the scripture say, Scott? Work out yeah. your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, right. Because what? Do you know how that verse ends? Oh, no. For it is God who is in you to will or and to, to work, work his good purposes. So that that just proves that the change we need has to be heaven sent. You know, he's got to grab a hold of us. So I was always worried. I mean, when we adopted our dog a couple of years ago, um, summer of 2020, our, our dog had a name and uh, we wanted to change it. And I was just worried in my mind. I was like, well, my dog is not going to answer to the new name that I gave her. Like, how long? And I was like Googling, like, how long does, you know, does it take dogs to start responding and this and that? And just for the first couple of days, you know, she was just completely scared out of her mind being in a new environment. Sure. And so it took a little while to produce that new nature and that responsiveness mm -hmm. of the new name. <clears throat> so it just, it's just, you know, it took a little bit of time. But then probably like your dog, your dog really just fully just adopts that new name and new nature. It's like, oh, I can't think of our dog being any other name than yeah. what we gave. You know? And of course your kids become the chief cheerleaders of the new dog, the new right, name. Right, right. Um, one of my fears with, with Nelson, now Rocky, was that, I don't know, somewhere on a walk, he'd hear the word Nelson <laughs> and he'd go running <coughs> And we'd lose our dog to to some random uh -huh. use of his old name. Uh huh. Um, but again, paralleling the biblical story, what kinds of circumstances in Jacob's life led him to go back to the you know to the inner Jacob? Hmm. What I I use that phrase in, in the sermon as kind of like a synonym with the old man or his human nature, his mm -hmm. unsanctified nature. You know, what kinds of triggers? And I think in Jacob's case, it was usually conflict with another person where he was set to lose mm -hmm. or where, where he wasn't going to get what he wanted. And that seemed to create this cascade effect of scheming yeah. hmm. almost as if he heard as a dog he would hear kind of an old owner calling him nelson nelson mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know so yeah the old self peeking through mm -hmm. well we're right in the thick of it yeah. tim do we need to we, we need back up and set the table or should we just keep <laughs> pressing on you haven't even encouraged people to go back and I, listen I to the sermon at say, this, this point is, this is where we need to insert the please pause here and go <laughs> listen back. to the sermon but i mean we've spent the first five or ten minutes talking about dogs so yeah we're if you're really, a new we're listener really confusing people <laughs> yeah you, you are on the right channel this is a theology podcast called the deeper cut this is not a dog cast right right um so for those who have not heard the sermon I will say, go listen to the sermon. It, it's posted. Um, but your sermon, Phil, was on Genesis 32. The third in uh, kind of a, I don't want to say mini-series, but on, on Jacob, going through the patriarchs, ninth sermon in the series overall. And uh, the third on Jacob. And 
your focus this week was on his name change from Jacob to Israel, which occurs in Genesis 32 within the context of God wrestling with Jacob. Um, and so that's kind of just a set the table to yep. put us in context. That's why we're talking a lot about dogs' names um, and changing of names because Jacob's name gets changed by God. Um, Abraham's name was changed by God. Yes, it was. Um, Isaac's was not. Isaac's you pointed was. these things out in yeah. your sermon as well. Yeah, I find it very interesting, not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but unlike Abraham, who's mostly referred to as Abraham after the fact throughout the rest of U- the Bible. Uniformly. Really? There's no... There's no, no exception. Okay. So yeah. I, I didn't want to concretely say that. I couldn't think yeah. of one where he was referred to as Abram after the fact. Even but. even when Stephen, in his speech, he refers to him as Abraham. Yeah. But Jacob is very often referred to as Jacob after this incident, after right. this name change. That's right. Um, even in the Psalms, it's the God of Jacob. Um, in the New Testament, we hear God of Jacob. So... And not always in an obviously negative sense. So we do have a caution here of making too much of the quote-unquote inner Jacob meaning, exclusively meaning kind of his old nature. After all, it was Jacob that was blessed at Bethel. It was Jacob that was blessed in the womb of his mother, Rebecca. It was Jacob who received the blessing from his father, Isaac. So it was Jacob that God spoke to in Haran and said, go to your father's country, return home. It was Jacob that, um, it, it actually is, is Jacob who blesses his sons at the end of Genesis. Israel shows up a few times in Genesis after this point, but it's primarily Jacob. So we don't want to make too hard and fast division like Jacob only means sin and Israel only means but I do find it interesting as an aside in terms of like common boys' names. You don't normally find, at least not in my tribe, um, Israel as a name. Mm-hmm. Jacob is fairly common name in, in, my cir- in the circles that I move in when I yeah. meet people. So um, God gets the victory, which is how I translated Israel is seems like a pretty good boy's name yeah i think there's there's probably my hunch is that the name israel would in people's mind would get messy because it's a people Mm -hmm. um it's a place Mm -hmm. you know so as opposed to jacob where there is no people of, of jacob in that per regard. Mm-hmm. Sure. And there's no place called Jacob. I, I'm just, you know, sure. making this up as I go. Sure. But that would be my hunch. Um, sure. And why that might be the case. But I think in, in Spanish-speaking countries, Israel is probably a more common boy's name. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I don't have uh, stats to back this up, but... Jesus is not uncommon in Spanish-speaking countries, but Correct. very rarely do very we hear rarely a kid in, named Jesus in, uh, in the English-speaking in, world. Right. So, 
Except at Christmas, we hear about a kid named Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so interesting story in Jacob's life. Yeah, do we want to do, do discuss, or do you guys have any thoughts or questions about the context? That's kind of my first point. It comes at a pivotal moment in his life. Um, I will say my wife was a little you know, in humor, but she was a little miffed that I didn't dive into the incredible story of Leah and Rachel and the drama surrounding their children and their, their father Laban and, and all of that rigmarole related to their concubines and, and all that. But that is part of the back, backdrop here. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, from a from a context perspective, and and you did you did provide context mm-hmm. for the where we are in Genesis and in history. The thing that that caught my attention the most was scheming Jacob running from Laban back to a place he ran from in with Esau, his brother. And kind of right in the middle of all that, in between his old scheme leaving his family to get away from Esau, which he was scheming with his mother, you know, so he that's scheme one. Then he, he gets involved with Laban, and we have a bunch of stuff going on there, obviously, and then he kind of schemes to get away from Laban. And now he's coming up with yet a new scheme to pr- protect his own life from his murderous brother. Which you highlighted. Scheme three. Scheme three. So he's kind of right in the midst of all this. And all we've seen in my mind is Jacob running away from conflict with people constantly. And here we have God who condescends and create, like in, initiates conflict, physical conflict with Jacob. And in the midst of this is where we see a name change and... Um, to some extent, a, a change in, in Jacob's person and his approach going forward. Hmm. So I, I, I thought that was, I appreciated you providing kind of the Laban context and then obviously the East, where he was headed back and, and his scheme to protect his hide from Esau. Right. And, and here we are with the person he really should have been concerned about the most the whole time, which was his relationship with God. And, <laughs> and, and that's where this story falls. So we do as, as Christians, sometimes we do focus on external, um, circumstances that are, that we're facing. We, we could have something in our past, something in our future that we know is looming ahead. And we're, we're so afraid of it because we know it's coming and it's going to meet us, you know, full bore. And, Meanwhile, what God is reminding us is that each and every day we do need him because his strength is made perfect in, in our own weaknesses that we have, whether it's, you know, not a physical hip or, you know, but um, mm. it's, it's when we're cognizant of that and our own um, weakness as Christians, that's when we rely on, on God and we're able to, to face that. So, Which is, that's well put, Scott, and that's why the context seemed to me as as the preacher to warrant its own 
point because seeing the circumstances, I called it a pivotal moment. A little play on words there because the, the pivot, <laughs> pivot point mm-hmm. in wrestling is involved right. when you're, right. you know, in, a, in that uh, aggressive stance, that crouch. But at, at this pivotal moment in Jacob's life where he is, as Tim put it, scheming once again, um, can we call it a, a holy interruption mm-hmm. in, in a way? Mm-hmm. So, but this didn't figure too much in the message because there's a, there's a lot on the table in terms of the context, but read Genesis 32, 1 and 2, Scott. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Menhan Naim. And yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. So we have this strange little prelude, which seems to sit all by itself. Hmm. If I had been a better preacher someday when I'm grown up and I can really handle these kinds of things. Maybe you can picture it as um, a security checkpoint um, at the border crossing from Haranville into Mm -hmm. Canaan, i.e. the promised land. Hmm. And who guards the border of the land? Who does Jacob find? Angels of of God. The angels of God. So let's go back to the last, to the most important and the first instance of angels guarding a border. Because the garden. All the way back to the garden. Right. And why are the angels guarding the border? To prevent any entry. (laughs) Of unholy. (laughs) Unholy, Any unauthorized unholy entry. Who Who was the person appointed to be the guard of the garden prior to the angel's appointment? Adam. Adam, Mm -hmm. Genesis 2.15. You will keep it and Mm -hmm. guard it. So the garden with this this phraseology is understood to be something like a temple because the guarding function that's used in Genesis 2.15, that term, is used to describe the work of a priest in the temple to guard the holy place from becoming defiled. So we have guards, guardians, not of the garden, but of Canaan, which is the promised land, confronting Jacob. Now, as you read this passage in in Genesis 32, does it sound like Jacob is encouraged or afraid or unsure? Is Is it unclear? Like, does he feel bolstered, um, affirmed by the presence of the angels? Does he feel disheartened or, or, or afraid for his life? Or is the passage a little ambiguous? I think it's a, it's a little, I mean, he gives it a, a name and he calls it God's camp. Um, but it, seem, it seems more like it's, uh, the text wants us to kind of frame like get a framework for these encounters so this is definitely something we want to be mindful of because something is ahead something's coming up coming, so it's right. a little ambiguous mm-hmm. 
I think you could easily read into this the seed form of the terror of Jacob when he finds out that Esau's coming. And he could recall this episode at the border of the border checkpoint that God's got this. This mm. is God's camp. So whatever Esau is doing with his 400 hardened warriors, mm-hmm. you're surrounded by, and, it, and the footnote here says two camps and the, and the, the commentators and the theologians kind of go to town on exactly what we're talking about. I like the idea that it's a, a little bit like the uh, picture of the heavens with the prophet. It's entirely surrounded by the angels of God. Mm-hmm. It's populated with, mm. this is the camp of God. Two mm-hmm. camps meaning like in front, behind, on the right, on the left, above and below. It's, it's, it's literally littered with the warriors of heaven. So Esau's impending approach shouldn't have struck terror into his heart. Like he could have said, that's all right, this is God's camp. And I'm the heir. But he mm-hmm. didn't. So... But I think you can also, so in that sense, I think that the camp of God could have been an encouragement to to Jacob. But I I think its kind of neutral tone also serves as a check on Jacob's scheming, saying, don't resort to your, those, um, that sort of plotting mentality that you've had in the past, that may work in Paganville but you're in God's house now. My house, my rules. And Jacob could have been a little like, ooh, I need to be on my best behavior. I need to practice, you know, Emily Post etiquette and only eat with my right hand and one hand in my lap and, and you know, drink with my, whatever the proper manners are for a mm-hmm. formal meal because this is, this is kind of, take, it's like a take off your shoes kind of a moment, I think, for Jacob. And the text leaves it open because of what's coming. We, we are definitely to, to, to allow this Mahanaim episode so very brief. It kind of sheds light on everything else in chapter 32. Hmm. So how, to, how, how I could have preached that a little more. I think it, it almost... It opens up so, so many things. It really does. Because J- Jacob literally then creates two camps. He does. Like that's mm. what the text says. And the, and, the, and the creation of two camps is intended as a as a play on this is two camps. And is it like my camp versus God's camp? Is it me and God versus Esau's camp, which is about to happen? Um, is it me and Esau and every other worldling versus the Holy Land? Or is it all God's camp because the Mahanaim can, can mean, as I've said it to mean, this is fully God's camp. It's not just like mine and yours. So yeah, there, there is a definite um, irony being written into the story yep. um, as Jacob kind of concocts, which you, I think you called it his, his third scheme. Yeah. Uh, I don't... 
I don't know how to untangle that. To be, to be honest with you. Well, <laughs> it it just shows how beautiful how beautiful the story is. You know, we, yeah. this is the deeper cuts. Who were really because I didn't know how to include that. You you said it didn't. But before we started recording, you said that it seemed like I had said everything I wanted to say, and it's true. But this one I didn't even bring. I didn't mm -hmm. bring bring it with me because I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't know how to. Should it should it have been? I mean, should you know? If uh, I like to use sports analogy, sometime should he have felt secure like this? Like we have a home field advantage here, and whoever's coming, it doesn't matter because we've we you know um, I have a hundred thousand of you know our fans, and you know this team's coming, and they're going to be twelfth man, right? The twelfth man, yeah. And it's like no matter what's going to happen on the field, we're with the victory's already. You know, we I, already won, or I think so. I think so. And the the prayer does to me in nine through twelve, which I called the the best prayer in the book of Genesis. It's one of the best prayers in the mm -hmm. Old Testament. Um, the prayer gives some indication that he was taking comfort, or at least. He knew that God was going to hear him. There's no doubt in the prayer that Jacob's faith is on strong display in this prayer. So I think we are intended to see the prayer as somewhat the fruit, the positive fruit of the Mahanaim encounter at the, at the border checkpoint into Canaan, the promised land, that he's bold to pray this. And it's, it's also a humble, so it's a humble boldness He's humbly bold to pray this because he knows it's he has the home field advantage. He's appealing to the promise. He's appealing to his father and his grandfather in the promise. He's appealing to God's goodwill. He's appealing to God's mercy. He's undeserved mercy, even the mm -hmm. covenant, you know, the covenant mercy of God. So why then? <laughs> how how can this whole? Because this is all lead up to the wrestling match. So why the wrestling match? Because it seems like we could, could almost end it there and we could jump straight to the encounter with Esau and see this as an answer to prayer. So why is the wrestling match inserted in, in between? And not just from a literary standpoint, but because I think it actually happened. It isn't just a right. kind of a, a trope, like a literary trope to show us that life can be hard. As you pointed out, Tim, Jacob physically wrestled with some manifestation, some theophanic manifestation of the divine person, the divine being in the form of a, of a mysterious man, a grappler. So why, was, why did God see that additional testing, I guess? You spoke of, you did speak about Jacob's birth and when he, when he was born, when he was born, he was clinging to his brother's, you know, a foot when, when he was born. And now he's left, when the wrestling match is over, he's clinging to the only thing he really can cling to, and that's the blessing of God at the end. So maybe is that some type of, you know, um, there was another instance that had to happen in Jacob's life for him to continue on as the, as the father of Israel. When you thought you had been humbled enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, there's still more time. <laughs> there's another. Uh -huh. There's another floor to the parking garage. Right. 
I thought I was parked on three. Nope, you're on four. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> One more level down. W- which is very much like my experience with God. Yeah. You know, when I thought I've, when I think I've learned enough, when mm-hmm. I think I've traveled far enough, when I think I've, if I may say so, suffered enough, which is honestly, it isn't much, but in the grand scheme of things, God says, no, there's, there's more, there's more for you to learn. Yeah. You know, you, you use the, the, um, anecdote in your sermon, Phil, of, you know, the, the youth retreat, you know, kind of thing. Oh, uh, right. And, and one Bethel to the other, right. A lot of us have had those yep. actual experiences. You go, you know, to a conference or you go on a retreat and you have that kind of mountaintop experience, if you will. And, um, I mean, I remember when I was in college, we would have conversations amongst the students and particularly the older students with the, the kind of the under the, uh, the younger students with like, what do you do to avoid that kind of crash kind of thing? Like you go on mm-hmm. a week long retreat and then, you know, what comes of that, you know, or you got to, you got to high for a couple of weeks and then things fade away and so on and so forth. And I think, I think that's, I really appreciated that because it brought it into, to my life personally. Mm -hmm. But we see that with Jacob, even after the prayer, he still goes through with that, that scheme that he had. True. So it's not like he, he, he prays this great prayer, but then he doesn't really act upon that prayer in, at least in, in any way I could see where he's like really trusting the Lord and he changes his mind and he goes forth and he leads his family and meets up with his brother. He still, you know, he sends the gift ahead. And then the very last thing that happens before the man shows up to wrestle with Jacob is that he wakes up in the middle of the night and he takes his wives and his children and he, you know, he, he has them cross the river and he's left alone. So, so even though these things have happened and he's had these Bethel moments and he, he makes this prayer, we still not really seeing the rubber hit the road, I think in a way. And so, you know, kind of the way I read the story is God literally grabs a hold of the guy and goes, you know, let, let me, let me make this real for you Mm -hmm. in, in a real way, you know? And I think that you see a little bit of that actually happen while it's not an instantaneous, like Jacob, Jacob gets renamed and he's only ever referred to as Israel and he's a completely changed person from that moment on. That's not what we see of Jacob, which I appreciate because I can relate to that too. Mm -hmm. But we do see, even at the end of the wrestling match, Jacob doesn't, he doesn't let go. I mean, for for the guy that's scheming and trying to avoid Mm -hmm. conflict his entire life, he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not letting you go until I get my blessing, you know, even after his hip gets put out of joint by a finger. So I think we do see a change in Jacob. And I think that's why God goes about it this way. I don't know. But, you know, I do think that it's it's an important, pun intended, a pivotal point in mm-hmm. Jacob's life here. Right. So the why did God go about it this way was 
somewhat my second point in, in a remarkable, the, the manner of his name change is kind of this unforgettable incident. I think I called it one of the best stories in the Bible. I mean, it's definitely up there. I mean, in terms of stories of the Old Testament, Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord has to be one of the best stories in the Old Testament. Um, Scott, what did you think? In this this in the sermon, it was an assertion. I asserted, which you, you know, I'm I'm making a claim. I asserted that Jacob already had the blessing. Mm-hmm. So what blessing was he looking for? So it was my attempt. I didn't really defend it in the message, but I simply stated it. The blessing he was looking for was the internalization or the, I guess, asking for the character commensurate with the blessing that he already had. Hmm. Um, what do you think about that thought? Does, does it make sense to you? in the context um maybe it is a is a it's a reality in jacob's life that he knew what he was he knew how he had gotten to this point and it was with the scheming and the trickery and perhaps i mean it's maybe it's a realization in his life now that he wants to he wants to not rely on that anymore but it's the blessing, it's the grace, it's the preservation of God for the, maybe that's something that he's asking, that reassurance at that, from that moment on, that's what he wants to define his life. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Do, do you think that Jacob knew when he was wrestling with the man that it was God? I, th- I, Again, in the sermon, I speculated his initial thought was, is this some assassin sent by Esau? Hmm. Uh, which I, I got that idea from Boyce. Uh, is this Boyce's commentary, which is kind of his collection of sermons on this, is this some uh, roving bandit, hmm. you know, which would be entirely plausible that, that a, a man alone on one side of the river with nothing but his staff and his cloak that a bandit would have maybe been lurking in the bushes and waited till night to pounce on him. But if, if a hand is snaking into the darkness and grabbing Jacob's heel, which is a speculation, but I, I love that concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jacob's like, holy, holy crap, you know, what is it? And so he, he's got nothing, and so they just they start kind of getting after one another. And if it was a bandit, at some point, you think the guy would run away because it's too much work. If it's an assassin, you'd think that he would have gone for the jugular, but maybe Jacob sensed that every grab or throw or move is sort of matched. Matched with his, I remember ma- you said move that. Move for move. Mm-hmm. And so I see it as a progressive realization of his opponent. That's my, um, mm. my sanctified imagination, Tim. Is there anything with, uh, so verse 29, my, my text says, it's tell me your name and the Y is capitalized. Is that, um, is that an, an indication of, I mean, I guess, I guess the name should have been capitalized too, but it says tell me your, oh. you know. Mm-hmm. So your, your ESV is. Well, I, I've, I have New King James. So your today. New King James yeah. is, is hinting that Jacob 
has at this point he's attributing some divine he, he knows that there's there's something going on here right. that feels like a kind of his burning bush mm -hmm. you know Mo, uh, moses would be on a burning bush and he hears a voice well, that that would come after the previous verse obviously <laughs> so, oh the naming part yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yep is, um God says, your name shall no longer be Jacob. For you struggle with God. Yeah. God. So the first yes. inkling he has is when he asks for a blessing. Blessing, right. Because he knows that this is some superior being. Mm -hmm. Only a superior being can confer a blessing on an inferior being. It's mm -hmm. a father that blesses the son. Mm -hmm. It's the king that blesses the, the knight or the servant. Uh, not the other way around. Right. So Jacob knows he's wrestling uh, with a kingly father at least. Yeah. So then if he... Yeah, so I think I asked you this before we turned on the, the podcast. It's the So then Jacob kind of resorts, not to the game playing, but it's like, if obviously it's identified here who he's wrestling with, why would he ask God his name, you know? Um, and it was, he's kind of resorting back to, well, no, I'm going to ask you. you. You tell me who you are, you know? So... Um I have a couple quotes from Calvin that didn't make the sermon cut, but they do make the deeper cut, Tim. <laughs> the Calvin cut. The Calvin cut. Uh, what was once exhibited under a visible form to our father Jacob is daily fulfilled in the individual members of the church, that in our temptations it is necessary for us to wrestle with God. So did that theme... I'm, I know I didn't quote Calvin in the sermon, but I was really encouraged by that pastoral lens. Did that hmm. did that resonate with you in the message? Were you thinking, um, or can you see how it's it's helpful to read the Jacob story in terms of your own wrestling with God? Yeah, um, it hit that hit me when you had had made the comment that you could say that Jacob's name, <clears throat> meaning the name Jacob, means my my plan, not God's plan. Right. And that Israel's name, or the name Israel, means God's plan or God's way, not my way. And that, to me, really hit home because now I can see myself in, in Jacob, in the scheming nature mm -hmm. of personality of Jacob, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's my, it's my way not God's way, and I don't like to admit that a lot, but when I actually take an honest look at my life, just daily life, <clears throat> um, you know, Scott mentioned, we often are are kind of try, you know, considering the future, what's coming ahead, or, or maybe what just has happened to us, and we're trying to kind of negotiate the situation, if you will. That's, I feel like I'm doing that all the time. And I'm not really trusting God. I'm trying to scheme or figure out my moves, if you will, or think three moves ahead rather than trust that God has a plan for me in his perfect will for my life. So I could totally see myself. That's my wrestling with God. At least that's how that was going through my head in that um, during your sermon, Phil, of how I'm often wrestling with him in that regard. Good feedback. A, a related question. 
Scott, read the first half of 25. I think this may be the most difficult part of the text to interpret and also the crux once you in, how how you interpret 25a I'm sorry first chapter 32 mm-hmm. verse 25a how you interpret that frames your interpretation of the entire rest of the passage so read the first half of that now when he saw that he did not prevail against him so we need to supply the pronoun so which is the first he and which is the the second now, um, now when he saw, he did not prevail. So he is capitalized. So that's um, so King God James rest, yeah, wrestling is, with is hinting. It's mm-hmm. not capitalized in Hebrew, so you have uh, to. Okay. So the the, the mis- ESV says when the man saw, mm. right? He did not. So prevail the mystery man, Jacob. Mm. So expand that. Kind of paraphrase it. What is it saying? Rephrase uh, it. Uh, my understanding was. Um, the mystery man um, matched his strength for strength with Jacob in some divine, mysterious way to elongate the conflict. But that, but before we get there, the text doesn't tell, tell us, us that. that. The text tells us mm. that the mystery man couldn't prevail couldn't against prevail. Jacob, as if yeah. Jacob were. The strong, strong stronger, mm-hmm. and the mystery man were trying, mm-hmm. unsuccessfully trying. Right. So at this point, we don't know mystery man is the divine being in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, in the form of the angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. We just know that he can't beat Jacob. Yeah, and it's been hours, I think you said. It's yeah. been hours. So why does the text put it that way? Why doesn't it tell us, or, or how do you interpret if it's God, then why can't God conquer Jacob? Is God, is Jacob stronger than God? Because that's the surface meaning. That's the sur- right. So where do we go from here? Like help our listeners uh, interpret this. Tim, you can. Oh, uh, well, okay. Because part, part of the goal here is that we learn to read our Bibles. Yeah. And in every sermon, one of my goals is, I want you to be able to, to be a better Bible reader after this message than you were before. So what did I do with that? Maybe you could. You did say there was no other way. And you kind of like, um, you're like, I don't want you, I don't want the congregation to take this the wrong way, but there was a cheat going on here. Somebody inserted a cheat code into the game to, you know, to then, you know, okay. uh, disable so that, Jacob in some way. So that's the second half of 25. Go ahead and read yeah. that. Um, he did not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled him. So in the self-same verse, we see a disabling move at the end of a night's long struggle Mm -hmm. where the verse says the divine being couldn't prevail against Jacob. And yet, with one touch, mm-hmm. Jacob is now disabled. Disabled. <laughs> yep. So the verse is in conflict with itself. Hmm. So clearly, this is a disabling move, 25b. Larger context, 22 to 32. Clearly, this is the divine being. We know that. Insert Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. This is the angel of the Lord. 
the context of the Bible is man cannot prevail against God. So whatever it means in 25a that the mystery man cannot prevail against Jacob has to involve some accommodation on the part of God. Mm-hmm. That's how I got there. So that was a little complicated or maybe complex. Tim, do you like the logic that I used and why is that important? Yeah, I think um, I, do like, I do like that <clears throat> logic. God, God initiates this too, let us not forget. So it's not that Jacob found some random guy walking and tackled him. God initiates the conflict with Jacob. So even in that way, God has um, condescended to Jacob. He was seeking him out. That's right. Um, So I think that's important to remember as well. So he seeks him out. Then he allows himself. You you said this is the definition of grace here. The word for this is grace. Mm -hmm. That, That God seeks him out and then allows Jacob to wrestle with him, essentially, and not be overtaken. Right. Because we see that he could have, I mean, why did he wait till the, the breaking of the day to touch his hip? He could have done that in the first 10 seconds. He could have. And it could have been, it could have been done. So some lessons take some time to develop, like cookies in the oven, takes, or bread. Here's how Calvin puts it. We do not fight against him except by his own power. And with his own weapons, he, having challenged us to this contest, at the same time furnishes us with the means of resistance so that he both fights against us and for us. Mm. (laughs) Calvin is never afraid of mystery. (laughs) He is not the um, academic theologian that some make him out to be. He is a lover of the spiritual mysteries of the divine being and of the Holy word. And he wants all the mysteries to be exhibited in their full glory. And he doesn't want to hide any of them. And I think that's a, a, a good reminder for us in our interpreting the scripture. So mm-hmm. speaking of mystery, something that also didn't make the message guys. And again, I, I, l- I left it at home because it was just too much is He actually is named Israel twice, once in Genesis 32 and again in Genesis 35. So, Scott, read uh, 35. Chapter 1, 35-1. Then God said, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God. Who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother? Okay. So the intervening episodes between his first being named Israel and then this command when God appears to him and then he names him again or he really reminds him of his name. Verse 10. In verses 9 and following, right? What happens in between? He meets Esau, he sees the face of God in Esau, or he sees something like the face of God. That's chapter 33. That issue is resolved. Then we find him buying a parcel of land at the end of 33 in Canaan amongst the um, the, um, 
the the Shechemites, uh, this this Canaanite peoples n named for the son named Shechem. Hmm. So he buys a parcel of land, he erects an altar, and then his daughter Dinah is raped, and what ensues is just a horrible, um, just a horrible massacre that is kind of an, an embarrassment to the story. So as much as I wanted to preach on the, the rape of Dinah, I didn't know how to include this, Tim. But it's nothing but negative. Yeah. There's nothing positive about this. And so even though he has this kind of answer to prayer when he meets Esau, something happens by the end of 33 to the end of 34 where he isn't where he's supposed to be. Now, where is he supposed to be? He's not, in my opinion, he's not supposed to be buying a plot of land in Shechem, in the city of Shechem. He's supposed to be returning to Bethel as he vowed to do back in chapter 28. And so, in failing to keep his vow, this horrific experience with his daughter Dinah, I think is intended to show that Jacob is maybe not so much scheming, but not scheming in the right way. He, he should be plotting his way back to Bethel to build a house for God there at the rock that he anointed as Bethel, the house of God. And he didn't. He settles in Shechem for some reason. And... Um, so this raises all kinds of troubling questions, like did God punish Jacob for not going all the... I mean, the, the story just is completely silent on this, so we're kind of left to scratch our heads and wonder. Whatever it is, though, um, immediately after this terrible situation, God appears to Jacob and says, remember the promise that you made to me? Uh, remember that we triumph in God, Israel? God is your victory? Well, God's only going to be your victory. You're only going to be Israel if you keep your promises mm. that you make to me. Mm. Um, I didn't m force you to make that promise. You made that promise. It flowed out of you know the overflowing gratitude of your heart in response to my gracious gift of the blessing. So keep your promise. Be, be, uh, be the kind of man who lives in the victory of God, not the kind of man who is lazy, is kind of how I've, that's how I came to understand it. So he, he gets named Israel twice. This is kind of the other half of the circumstances that makes the name of Israel so poignant in the wrestling matches. Not only does it shed light, or does it illuminate Jacob's past schemings, as Scott was saying, it also points to his future um, disobedience, his future uh, failing to, to keep his, his end of the bargain shows that Jacob really has a long way to go yet to figure out that God is truly his victory. We see what happens when you don't plot like uh, a godly man should be. In verse 2 it says he has to tell his own household to put away foreign gods. Oh, that's a great. So I love this. That, that part, um, yes. So what did Rachel do when she, when she ran away with, uh, with Jacob and Leah, her sister, 
from Laban, she takes one of the household gods with her, mm. which is a foreshadowing of this moment. Um, of course, she sits on it, lies to her father, says, I, the way of women is upon me, i.e., I'm having my period, so I can't get up and greet you. I have to stay seated on this saddle, Dad. I'm sorry. When, in fact, the god that she stole was underneath her, and Jacob had already made a rash vow saying, Who, with, with whom you find this god, that person will be killed. So there's this kind of almost moment where the covenant sort of ruptures wide open, except for Rachel's deceiving of her dad. And so we know that um, the separation that Abraham affected when he left Haran to leave his father's house, his kindred, to be separate, to be a people for me, that separation wasn't as clean and tidy in Abraham nor with Isaac. And now we see Jacob struggling to separate from idolatry as well. He has to command his own household. But how good of him to do that. Like, right. Those words should be found on the mouths of every, every. father in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, look at what our kids and our wives and we are doing with our smartphones. Yeah, we allow it in. Right. So we're sitting on household gods all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Jacob kind of, this is really a, a high point for him because he sees in his sanctified self that an encounter with God at Bethel requires holiness. Hmm. So I really love that, that verse because it really puts Jacob in a, in a beautiful light. Yeah, after, after all of the bad stuff. Right. Because he, before the last verse in 33, is he, you know, he buys the land and then he, he erects an altar there mm-hmm. and he calls it El Elohi Israel. So God, God the God, God of Israel. Israel. Mm. So at face value, I'm like, oh, that's, that looks pretty good. But in the context of that's not where you're supposed to be, Jacob. That's the only way I can make sense of chapter 34 separating 33 and 35. And it's the only way I can make sense of 35 as a pressing reminder because this interlude of 34 has happened. Right. So it's almost like God doesn't kind of want your empty sacrifices in a way. Right? Like, all right, great, you... you you erected an altar there. You're not supposed to be there anyway. Mm. So the altar is nothing. It means nothing. Don't try to make yeah. it seem like it's something big. We had an appointment, and you don't get to change the terms of that appointment once mm. it got... It was in pen. This is not, I'll pencil you in. This was this was a fountain pen. Like, this is with India ink. Right. We're, we've got an appointment at Bethel, and I'm looking at my watch, and you're not here. So... Uh, don't trifle with the divine. Again, I think the wrestling theme kind of bleeds over or trickles into this just a just a horrific, really a chapter in the Bible I wish weren't there. Hmm. Um, that complete slaughter of the Shechemites. All the men are killed in that passage. It does set up a little bit also the pecking order of the sons, which becomes important at a later yeah. point in the story, but that's conversation for another day when we start looking at Joseph. Can, can you guys see, maybe as we try to land the plane here, Tim, can, can you see some implications for modern-day fathers 
and I've, I've been trying to beat the drum of passing on the blessing to our kids in in a hostile society that that doesn't love or fear God. We've we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? We certainly do. I mean, even I'll be honest. Take society take society out out of it. We still have our work cut out for us, even with ourselves. And I think that's one of the things I see. You know, as I reflect on Jacob and have to admit that I'm more like him than I'd like to admit that I am. Um, certainly, our society doesn't make it any easier, but I'm not making it any easier on myself either. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, one of one of the takeaways is um, just a, a good reminder that sanctification is. It's definitive in that I can't, you know, if you're reborn, you're reborn. There's no going back from that. You know, that's God's doing. Uh, You know, I said that God initiates the conflict here with Jacob. God blesses Jacob even before Jacob was born. So that's God's, that's God's election. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That's God's doing. Um, but there's still, as we see in Jacob's life, and I see in my own life, there's a progressive nature to my sanctification. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, it's like a flip the switch and I'm good to go. I'm still struggling. And um, that's, a, that's a call to me to not get lazy, not get complacent, to, to stop trying to scheme my way. <laughs> and, yeah. and stop I hear, erecting false altars not false altars but mm-hmm. you know what I mean misplaced misplaced so that's looking I hear you looking downstream mm-hmm. but Scott there, Jacob's also a son mm-hmm. with an upstream responsibility mm-hmm. that we've seen him struggle with mm-hmm. even in the way he was interacting with his father so as adult men part of our patriarchal responsibility and passing it on downstream is is attending to our duties to our own parents can you see that aspect in the jacob story too yeah i can i like um i was really just uh struck by what you said um in your application i think um i like how you said you know it's not our, our biological fathers but it's also the fathers in, in the church and um even though, I, you know, this kind of applies to me, you know, um, directing the, the youth group, even though it's, I think you even, you know, you didn't make it personal to me, but it, you, you did just say, doesn't mean just sitting there and leading the youth group when nobody else wants to, you know? Oh. And uh, <laughs> I was like, ouch. Um, that was not meant as, a, as an, <laughs> God forbid I would yeah. say that. But, mean from the pulpit, but I, I knew what uh, I knew. I what think, you, I think I saw him look at you. Scott. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, just joking. Just joking. <laughs> it doesn't mean just occupying that space in in the church. Um, it means just um, everybody in the church are, are spiritual fathers to the kids. It means praying for um, David's kids. It means praying for you know Stephen's kids, and mm-hmm. Paul's kids, like everybody in the church. Um, even whether you're on the session or you're not, you are our spiritual father to the kids, and you do have your own, which is your your first, your your most important church 
you know, little C. Uh, but it's also um, all the kids in, in God's house and fulfilling that, that patriarchal role uh, is, is, is really, really important. And so I think that's what you're alluding to. Yeah. So one of the kind of the big arcs that I've been working on as a preacher this fall is kind of the vision of the church. And one of the things that drew me to the patriarch series was our desire as a church to emphasize and not be embarrassed of the Christian family and to to be bold in prioritizing the Christian family so that, you know, Scott's comments helped me, Tim, to, to get a sense that, that part of that message is, is coming through. Mm. You know, we, we want to be a church in this day and age that emphasizes and is not embarrassed of the Christian family, both blood, covenant, you know, moms and dads, and then the kind of the broader spiritual body of Christ. Yeah, God works through families, right? I mean... Can't get more basic than that. From from the very beginning, God works through families. So I think it's true, and I think, you know, the... We we have spiritual fathers and mothers as well. I mean, physical too. We we all have a father and a mother, um, but spiritual fathers and mothers even in our church that we look to for probably need to look to more, mm-hmm. um, you know, for wisdom and for guidance. Um, and honestly, they need to want to be looked to more. Hmm. Um, you know, Miss. Good morning, Mister Jones. Don't call me Mister Jones. That's my dad. Like that's a classic. Oh, I'll yeah. say baby boomer response to that, mm-hmm. to my effort as a Gen X to kind of show respect and reverence to the older generation. Uh, don't don't call me Mister Jones. That my that's my dad. Call me Bill. You know, or Joe, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the elderly generation doesn't want that respect for perhaps for selfish reasons i think they're also perhaps discouraged that the world as as my dad has put it the world is very different than the world he grew up in Hmm. almost unrecognizable i mean where you know my father's born in 1944 my stepdad's born in 1948 where do you go to find that kind of world today it's just, it's just not there. Yeah. And we've made some progress, certainly. And I've said this before from the pulpit. You know, I'm not a, a golden ager. I don't look back on some era of American history as ideal. But I do see things that we've lost alongside the things that we've gained. And, yeah. you know, as with the rebuilding of the temple, there's great rejoicing mingled with great weeping. Yeah. I was just, uh, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen a couple parades this weekend. And Saturday, I just marveled just um, the moment of the parade where these seemingly ancient pieces of machinery were rolling down the street in front of me in their 1942 John Deere, like, farm tractors. And I'm just wow. like, and I'm just like, what, look at the that age, that generation. And these were like, you know, the farmers that were, were riding on these things. I'm right. like, 
you know, of course you get the whole bumper sticker like no farmers, no food, but how how many farmers are we still training anymore to like are they passing down that art down to their generation? Right. So right. it was just um you you know, I don't get up and close and that personal with that stuff anymore, but I was kind of just thinking about that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, <laughs> We left a lot on the table. Scott, you're going to have to come back. and. Yeah, it's great having you as a conversation partner, Scott. It was good, good to be here. We have um, how, how many more weeks left in the sermon series, Phil? We go to the end of the year, right? Give or take? Give or take. So four or five more. I think my last one might be Christmas Eve, but I'm not sure. Okay. <clears throat> so we move on to Joseph. I believe mm -hmm. next mm -hmm. week. So a lot more to yeah. Joseph, talk about for Joseph sure. gives us lots of material to work with, but Jacob will make a, an appearance before we're done. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't get off that easy. Um, great conversation again. I've really enjoyed this sermon series. Um, been very helpful and just a a part of the Bible that I think a lot of people maybe not know extremely well, but have read, know the stories, know the names. And it's just great to be able to, to get into the, the weeds a little bit more, um, particularly on this podcast and kind of get to the deeper cut on mm -hmm. these things. So I uh, appreciate your guys' time again this week. Thank you to all of our listeners who have tuned in. We'd love it if you have questions uh, about anything we've talked about or any of the parts of the story that we didn't get to talk about we'd love to hear from you or if you'd like to join us for one of the conversations there's uh there's room on the couch next to scott so we're certain if they drop a five-star review <laughs> in there they might get invited <laughs> to the next one right oh no oh no that's not how we work here <laughs> we're we'll take the one-star review person too so um in all seriousness we'd love to we'd love to hear from you if if these are encouraging to you or if you have um, comments or suggestions on how we can improve this podcast i know that phil and i love getting together and and having this conversation on a weekly basis so i think even if the microphones weren't here we'd still hopefully get together and talk it out anyway but um, we do record these things and put them online for your benefit so we hope that they are a benefit to you and uh, we hope that you'll join us again next week on the deeper cut talk to you then mm -hmm.